Thank you guys so much for listening to the Collegian Cultivate podcast. My name is Pete, and today I will be having on assistant professor of architecture, Jonathan Desi Olive, and then later on I'm going to be talking to a couple of his students. So, Professor Jonathan, uh, you have a couple of projects going on now, and one pertains to COVID-19, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but everything online in the news these days pertains to the virus. So I want to talk about this other initiative you have going on first. Um, so when what I think it was in early March, I was walking through Bosco Plaza, and I saw these really big plastic structures. I think they were 15 by 15 by 15 feet, if I remember correctly. Um, and I, I had no clue, like I had no clue what they were when I saw them and I, and I walked up, talked to your students about them and asked you about them. Uh, could you explain just basically what was going on there? Yeah, so that was uh, the first exercise of a class that I teach here at K-State. Um, it's a seminar and the seminar is all based on um, looking at different methods of constructing structures um and building up um some kind of an idea through studying these historical ways of building um coming up with new ideas for uh, how to build in the future so the inflatable exercise was really just the primer exercise for the students to uh, start thinking about new kinds of environments in which we can start to think about material, start building material, start assembling materials. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the inflatable in particular in this case was uh, the environment in which we were um, proposing to eventually uh, uh, construct um, structures with a material called mycelium. And uh, so mycelium is the vegetal vegetal part of um of a mushroom so it was right. whereas the mushroom part that you eat is like the fruit um mycelium is this white webby um root like structure um that lives underground and what we can do is actually make structures with that and so what you saw was basically the environments in which we can which we think we can start to grow that in the most kind of tactical or gorilla like fashion um, I hate to bring up the virus again, but you could imagine if one were to need to grow, say, um, rehabilitation clinics or uh, any kind of structures in order for people to uh, to recover, recovery right. um, pods or anything like that, one could imagine actually using the inflatable not only to make a pod out of um, mycelium, but then use the pod itself as a recovery place. And you could do this all over Central Park, for example. Right. Um, and that's so, so that's kind of the that's what you saw. And there's a sort of larger picture that we've been um, trying to go after. I'm happy to talk more about that. Yeah, I remember um, a couple months ago when we were talking about it and I wrote an article on it. We you were talking about how you think the movement of people is going to be one of the biggest issues that we face in our in our are facing right now right and how does this idea with these um with the plastic structures and the idea of the plant structures pertain to that yeah so in addition to climate change i think uh mm -hmm. people moving around on the planet for one reason or another is going to is really going to be a problem that, that we're facing um 
Uh, we're seeing, I think, uh, I saw the other day, 11 million people just fled Wuhan, uh, the, the source of the coronavirus. So, you see, you know, 11 million people are going somewhere. So somehow we need to start to look at the built environment and to ask new questions about how the way we build um, actually lines up with the way that people are living uh, right now. The truth is that we've been building in a way that is very ancient um, in that we assume that our buildings are going to last for a very, very long time. But in this scenario where people are going to be moving around more quickly, so you know, several times and across great distances in a single person's life, um, whereas it used to be kind of a generational thing, uh, my grandparents were immigrants, my mother is an immigrant, and I'm the first one who's going to you know, stay here, at least I think so. Yeah. But what we're doing is we're building buildings as if they were going to last hundreds and hundreds of years, generations. And so what we're trying to do, and this is in part what we're trying to tackle in the class, is to re-question um, how we build for the future. And in part, I think time plays a, a bit into that. And, and the time that we use our buildings plays into that. And again, that, that ties back to then the movement of people. If we're going to be moving around, we have to ask ourselves, how do we build the buildings that we use, the structures that we use for shelter. We're not, we are going to be moving around, but we still will need places to go. Mm. Um, and so thinking about how can we quickly make uh, a living environments uh, for, for humans? How can we quickly uh, make, uh, maybe not so quickly make them, but also make them in such a way where they may have less of an impact in the long run. After all, if we're just using a bunch of concrete uh, to make buildings that are only lasting uh, 20 to 50 years, whereas concrete can last, we know, thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And so we really need to, to re-question how we build. And so this is a little bit where this class um, that I've been describing um, tries to begin, or at least places at its charge, um, this scenario in which how we build, how long buildings have to last mm-hmm. um, is, is immediately brought into question, and then we, we kind of take it from there. Inflatables play into that because they are temporary structures. Right. Um, the plastic that we use, that we that you saw um, us use, is is recyclable. You can you can give it to the recycling plant. And they can they can do something with it. Um, certainly, as a as an environment in which to grow things, um, whether it's other structures or even just plants, uh, we know that the same kind of plastic gets used to make greenhouses now. And so this is. Um, this is where we have to start looking at materials and saying, well, how in these kind of um, realistic futures, how do we have to look at materials in new ways? And how can we start to think about the, the, the built environment in new ways and, and, in, and its temporality? Right. So what is the idea of how long it takes to grow these structures inside the plant structures? Yeah, so mycelium material is something that's still kind of, it's been around for about a decade in terms of the way that people are thinking about it as a material that can be used for things. In the United States, there's uh, there are two companies uh, that have patents to actually manufacture and distribute this this stuff. Um, so the stuff, uh, at least as 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 a uh, we can try to get the listeners to imagine is is basically agricultural byproduct. So mm-hmm. think about anything that gets used in food production that is cellulose based, straw, wheat, uh, corn husk, hemp herd, 
pine chips, sawdust, anything that uh, is is cellulosic. Um, this mushroom, the, the mushroom strain that is patented to, to the companies who can distribute this stuff, mm. um, goes and eats that uh, substrate and it forms a hard mass. If you've ever grown mushrooms uh, below where the, you cultivate those mushrooms, there is a um, kind of stiff mass of stuff. And the stuff is usually this kind of agricultural byproduct and this white webby stuff that is mycelium. So what we do is we say that, well, we can grow that intentionally. Um, we can grow quite a bit of it. Um, and in just about four days, um, the strains that are commercially available, at least um, to people, you can grow that mushroom strain all the way through that substrate. Um, at that moment, once it's, once it's about four or five days into growing, um, you can take whatever part it is that you're trying to make, you bake it um, or just dry it. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to dry it quickly, you can put it in the oven for about 200 degrees for 45 minutes and, and you should be good. And what you get is um, an object of whatever shape you put that mulch in um, and it's dried and it's ready to go. And it's about the consistency of foam. Again, it yeah. depends on the substrate that you put in. Certainly if you use wheat or straw or something like that, it's going to be more like a low density foam. Whereas if you were to use say uh, pine chips, it might, it's, it's, well, you can imagine what it'd be like. It's like mm -hmm. packed pine mm -hmm. chips. Um, and so what's interesting about this is that it, it first of all, it kind of redirects um, food production. So we're interested in this here at, in Kansas because obviously uh, we are the first land grant school in the, in the nation. And so and agriculture is a huge part of the economy of Kansas. And we already make great use of byproduct. Um, but again, with climate change, with the movement of people, we don't know what kinds of crops are going to be coming up. And so having the technology to use food waste or food production byproduct, right. or we'll call it byproduct, other people might call it waste. If it's just getting burned, what we can start to think is that instead of just burning it, putting all that carbon into the air, we can keep that carbon uh, and put it into a material that, uh, that, um, can service uh, many other purposes, whether it's for uh, interior uh, materials for things like acoustical panels. Um, there is research being done on the uh, the amount of insulating um, uh, properties it has in terms of thermal properties, right? Mm -hmm. So people are thinking about because it has this foam-like quality, could we start to put it into walls and replace things like polyurethane foam, which again, at the end of the life of a building goes to landfill. And this is where mycelium materials really are the most exciting for us as researchers in the built environment is that all of a sudden now you have a material that could be, first of all, uh, could decompose on its own. Certainly you could just leave it somewhere and eventually nature will take its toll. It is just dead mushroom roots and whatever else, uh, whatever other substrate you have, let's call it hemp bird. Mm -hmm. But what you could also do is feed it to other organisms and actually actively decompose it. And so what we're looking at here um, in the months to come or in the years to come, at least uh, while I'm while I'm here at, at Kansas State um, pursuing this this tenure track mm. um, is to start looking uh, not only at the supply chains of these agricultural byproducts, but also to think about how we build them and where we build them. And so this is why the students were building inflatables. One of the ways, again, if you were need, needing to build structures in the middle of Central Park at a time like this, 
what we presume is that some sort of very rapid, uh, very rapidly deployable structure is the environment, the clean environment in which you want to grow mushrooms to make a structure. Mm-hmm. Now, if that clean environment that's rapidly deployable is also kind of like a greenhouse because it's clear and it's letting all this UV light in, uh, we suspect that we could probably also actually warm up the structure um, quite a bit in order to dry it out in there. Then just mm-hmm. removing the plastic all of a sudden, then you have the structure that's there. Now, how to build with mycelium is not to be taken for granted. Um, and that's actually what we're studying. And, and um, the students in the class who were building those inflatables have now spent the last six, eight weeks actually inventing construction systems. Um, so thinking about what are the containers in which we can put this mulch mm-hmm. that will facilitate um, mycelial growth and and then of course we have to think about structural shapes we have to think about the sort of uh, order of operations that it takes to put these kinds of things together mm-hmm. do you make uh, very big chunks of mycelium or do you try to kind of put up a structure and grow it all at once um, certainly we know we can make bricks there have been several structures back uh, going back as far as 2013 2014 there have been structures built with mycelium bricks all temporary of course they've lasted anywhere between mm-hmm. two weeks and four months or something like that but again that kind of gives a sense of like okay well now we're thinking a bit of a different time scale uh, for these structures. And certainly, again, the current state of things is a really is continues to be a good example for 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 this project as well, because if we do need these structures and we're going to need them all summer, but then we don't need them anymore, then the best thing we can do is to make them out of something that won't be around forever as well. Um, And certainly we hope that the current state of things goes away. And in many cases, uh, I think we're building structures that in some cases ought to be uh, made to go away as well. Right, right. Is this project put on hold at all because of the virus? Are you still able to work on it? I mean, we're always thinking about it. So as I mentioned, um, the students currently have been uh, thinking about the strategies for building with this material. And mm-hmm. so it's it's been challenging because typically the way I, I teach the classes will actually cast some of this material so they know what it's like. Mm-hmm. And then they'll invent some kind of system. Gotcha. Here, I've just had to kind of convince them just through videos of past experiments that I've been a part of, past constructions. Um, so I'm showing videos, showing a lot of construction photos, telling them about all of the firsthand knowledge that I've picked up along the way when I've uh, built this way, and then trying to uh, trying to get them to engage these questions in a way that's intimate enough where they can be inventive and creative. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, the nice thing about this material is it's fairly simple. You can really imagine it. Right. Picture mulch, picture mulch, and you have to just put it into some shape. The same way that you would cast plaster or concrete or something else, you have to put into some shape. So you can put it into a brick shape, and your mold would be in the shape of a brick, but you can also put it in a very, very large shape. Gotcha. Um, and that's actually quite quite efficient. And um, there are reasons that sometimes that we build with cast concrete versus with bricks. Um, and here, what what we're in part doing in the class is saying, well, yes, you can make bricks. And, you know, since this material has existed in the 10 years, mostly what people have been doing is making it into small shapes that you can hold in about the size of, you know, in your hand. Um, 
and they put them together. And what we're trying to say here is, eh, there's other ways that we can build, and therefore there's other ways we can build with mycelium. They've not been invented because no one really knows what to do. But at yeah. minimum, you can say, well, okay, you have some mulch. You have to hold it. Everyone can imagine designing something that holds mulch. Um, then we insert some some not some new knowledge for them about what good shapes are for structures, um, how they can start to find those shapes, uh, and for that we look at history and, and then the sort of other background of my own research interests and, and um, expertise mm. that comes into that. So oftentimes what it ends up being are these kind of dome shapes or vault shapes um, that are all in compression, and by by teaching this kind of duality of uh, new materials. Um, or maybe it's a triality, let's call mm-hmm. it new materials, uh, built futures and fundamental concepts of structure right. um, where you say, okay, now if I can take a new material and even if it's very, very weak, um, the fact that it's compostable um, or at least digestible for certain other thi- for certain other um, organisms, if I can put that material in the right place in space, and it only takes on compressive forces, right. um, then then it, the stresses are actually quite low when it's all in compression. And so even if you have to use a lot of this stuff, we don't feel so bad. It's a digestible, compostable material. And sure, it's very weak. So if it's weak and we need to take more load, we can use more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is exciting, right? Because you can start to think about using tons and tons and tons of material um, and not and not worry about, well, what is the impact of this going to be? How much energy goes into the production of this uh, material? Well, very low. Whereas, um, as we know, in order to make cement, um, there's a huge amount of energy that goes into that. You burn limestone. There's all of the shipping that goes into it. There's sand that gets excavated from somewhere. There's water that get, that goes into play. Here, you're just talking about growing a plant into dead plants, basically. Right. You're just doing it accurately. Yeah. Man, I think we could keep talking about this project for Definitely. a while, <laughs> but I do want to get some time to talk to your students here in a little bit. Um, so another thing that it was interesting because that, that project pertains to the virus more than than uh, I was thinking at first. It's really interesting stuff. And, well, and, um, you know, this this the current state of things has really had to we've all been on our toes a bit. And yeah. um, I think we've all especially in the research community, we've all had to reflect a little bit on what we're doing. Mm hmm. And in part because this research in, can go on hold, right? We can't actually have human contact. So right. the construction part of the research goes away. But why the research is important um, actually can really, really come forward. And, and again, I think it's in these kind of critical conditions that we as researchers um, can think about the things that we're doing and the, the impact that it can have uh, in the long run. But yeah, I mean, this, the, if, um, you know, not talking about the built environment, but just talking about human health um, and how technology can play into that uh, is kind of how we arrived at this this other project. Yeah. So you guys are working on some uh, PPE face shields. Is that right? That's but, right. But, but yeah. Part of them is made with 3D printers. Yes. Actually, so, right next to yeah. me, I have a 3D printer that I, I currently shut off because otherwise it would be hissing in the background. Oh, okay. um, but uh, yeah, I, I printed uh, five structures um, last night Really? on my printer. Yep. Wow. Um, how did the idea for that come about? Uh, well, the truth is it's not our idea at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, we're just, we're, we're, um, we're just going along with what's happening um, uh, out, out in the world. Uh, as we know, Kansas is not certainly a hot 
bed of this of this virus. We have mm. cases even here in Riley County, and and we need to be uh, we need to be concerned, and we need to be more prepared for that. Right. Um, but I think what was happening is while we here in Kansas weren't too sure of what was going on about the time that um, you and I, Peter, ran into each other. Yeah. Uh, it, it was it was escalating in other parts of the United States, and so what was happening is that people were responding at that time in those places. And a kind of and a, and a really cool thing that was happening in the uh, maker community, in the architecture community, um, both in academia and in professional practice, is that folks who had laser cutters, CNC machines, and 3D printers were starting to send around files um, over the internet, open source. 3D models, um, print files, cut files uh, for open source designs of PPE, so mm. protective, prote- uh, personal protective equipment. Right. So, um, you know, all of this was happening. The school shut down over spring break. We had the extra week of spring break, yep. and it was exactly during that week where I was at home trying to figure out how I was going to teach design on the internet. Um, and I was going, and I was seeing on Instagram and other social media friends who work in architecture offices who were who were printing things, uh, friends who are faculty in other universities who are who were printing things, and it was really just a matter of asking the student group uh, at AP Design, who runs the digital fabrication in our school. Mm-hmm or in the whole college to ask them if this is something that they were aware of or wanted to try. And the result of just that question was this, this whole initiative where it has other than, other than me simply asking are you know, can you guys get your printers out of the school to start making this stuff? Um, And it turned into all of a sudden now we've got four machines running 24 hours a day and, Wow. I think in the last few days, we've made about a hundred of these things and we'll be really? distributing soon. Very, very soon. So yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. Dang, that's awesome. Okay. So I think I'm going to transition now into talking to your students about it. Um, yep. So yeah, thank you so much for talking to me today, Professor Jonathan. And I still, I still think it's, it's like tragically hilarious that we ran into each other at Tallgrass Tap House. On, Indeed. The, on the eve of the apocalypse. <laughs> Seriously. Um, well, thank you for having me on. Um, maybe we'll, we can talk again when it's when it's all over. Absolutely. And I hope, yeah, I hope all these projects go well for you and that you can make more progress on the mycelium one as well. But uh, have a great rest of your day and take care. Thank you so much. Yep, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, now I'm talking to uh, DJ Plankington and Matthew Cox, who are both third-year students in architecture. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing pretty good. good. Yeah, could you guys say your uh, say your name so the people listening could know know who you are? Who, know <laughs> My name is DJ Plankington. And I'm Matthew Cox. Cool. Okay, so um, I was just talking to Jonathan about this uh, PPE project you guys are working on. Can you guys talk about just how you got involved in it and what exactly your part is in it? Yeah, uh, definitely. So... Um, JDO or Jonathan Desiolo, he yeah. reached out to us uh, uh, over social media to do social distancing and uh, showed us that there was a uh, kind of a, a movement in the architecture world, whether it be in education or professional world, to um, 
basically, uh, if you have a 3D printer to print these, uh, any any uh, protection uh, that we could do. And what we found was there was an open source file of uh, the headbands that as a face shield, and those take about two hours to print. So we ended up uh, kind of getting all the supplies together, all the 3D printers out of the school and uh, printing those from our houses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, I think it was only a day after we found out about this, we were in a call in the morning with the dean <laughs> yeah. trying to get the printers out of oh, the school. Man. So yeah, like Mission Impossible. <laughs> yeah. So how um how do you make them? Like, what do they look like? I think I saw a picture of them on Twitter a few days ago, and like, there's like this white part. Is that like what's made like the top part that goes yeah. around? Yeah. And then you put a plastic like yeah, face so on them. We're printing so. the band kind of piece, and right. then uh, the front face shield is a piece of clear acetate mm -hmm. that we're hole punching and then clipping on. Gotcha. How long do they take to make? Uh, so to print, it takes about two hours, and then probably like five, ten minutes of cleaning it up and putting the, the face shield on. Right. And uh, so do you guys have 3D printers at your house, and, and you're just working on them there? Yeah. We yeah. have the school's 3D printers at our house that we we moved. Gotcha. And how many how many do you make do you guys like individually make a day? Uh, I think it's about eight, about eight a day per printer. Mm -hmm. and we have three printers, so yeah, they're oh, all four in now. We oh, have yeah, four. four. Now. Yeah, four. Cool. They're all in different people's houses, so gotcha. We have to like kind of communicate to get them all together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so. How do you guys and Jonathan, you can chime in again in this on this question if you want. Like, who are you thinking about like distributing them out to? Is there a plan for that yet? How do you get them together and send them out? How how does all that work? Uh, well, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, so a couple of days ago, our our dean um, dean uh, Tinda uh, Noble. <laughs> He, uh, he has a Twitter account that he claims nobody follows. And, um, I was simply sending him an update on our progress. Uh, yeah, as the students mentioned, it was about a week of trying to get machines and convincing our administrators that this was worth it. Then it was about a week of us trying to print some things and figuring out which designs we wanted. There were a lot of open source designs. And at the end of that week, I sent him a photo just of like our first might have been our first or second or third prototype <laughs> and uh and he tweeted it and so we've actually been getting quite a bit of uh not only press and i'll let the the students talk about that a little bit but we've also um been getting just individual requests from people and and it's been great because they've been reaching out and telling us uh where they have needs and so we're just right. at this point kind of gathering it up Gotcha. So for you guys, what what has it been like, like getting the, this press about it? Uh, it's definitely been different. I'm not sure if you can still hear me. I can. You're, okay. Your My video, your video is stopped, but I can still hear you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's definitely been different, like getting so much attention and like uh, getting emails every day from random people saying that like they saw us on the news or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's been kind of crazy in that regard and getting people on social media and we've had emails that people have found kind of our, our K-State email out of nowhere to just email us about getting uh, kind of orders, which is kind of crazy to us. But uh, they're not really as much orders as just kind of donations because we're doing it kind mm. of uh, without any, right, just for free, really. 
Right. Is it is it being funded by the architecture department? How does that work? Technically, our club bought all the materials oh, and the gotcha. printers, and uh-huh. we've just been using what we had uh, stocked up mm-hmm. right now. But I think we we should be getting some donations or something from the school to upgrade. Yeah, the the dean has pledged his support, and um, we've we've gotten quite a bit of support all the way up through leadership and administration in the in the university. So um, we're we're pretty confident that uh, the at least the materials will be covered by the university. Mm-hmm. <laughs> gotcha. So. What does this project look like going forward? Like, what do you what do you guys think are the next the next steps with it? I I think we just ramp up production, yeah. and it really depends on uh, how the whole social thing works out. Like, like is someone going to make a vaccine, and are we going to go back to normal at some point? I think it really just depends on the world, basically. Right. Yeah, and the, another thing we're looking into is not just face shields, but. Uh, uh, masks and respirators that uh, mm-hmm. that cover the mouth as well. Um, so once we get this kind of face shield thing figured out, we get a lot out there into the local community. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's seeing what else we can do, not just stopping at face shields. Yeah. How, um, like, what do you think are the types of, like, positions that people are in for this type of face shield as opposed to just, like, the cloth masks that people are starting to wear and talking about a lot? Like, are these more for people who work in a hospital? Well, yeah, so these are kind of, yeah, they're for, actually, our our intent for these is for kind of uh, anyone that is working on the front lines, whether that be uh, medical professionals or just grocery store workers uh, mm-hmm. locally as well, just thinking about that. But um, these don't uh, protect the mouth, really, as much as just any kind of particles to the face. Um, oh, right, right. In, in a way. So it's just kind of like a, a first kind of line of defense. Mm-hmm. So like, with the mask. sorry. So like, yeah, a, as a cloth mask is to like keep you from spreading the disease to other people. This is to protect the person who's wearing it. Definitely. Yeah. Right. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. So how many? How many have you guys sent out into the public so far? It, yeah, we haven't sent any out yet, but there yeah. is a box that's set up to go out probably in the next couple days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the answer to your, where are we at right now with the, with gotcha. this right now is, is we are gathering orders and, uh, and we invite anyone locally um, who is in need to please reach out um, whether it's the school of architecture, it's the college of design, uh, anyone you can, anyone you can track down on the internet. Uh, we're happy to hear from you if you are in need. Our goal right now is to start locally mm-hmm. um, and to start distributing as soon as possible. We have a few legal and logistical things to work through, yeah. um, but um, we have we do have a stock. I believe we're somewhere over a hundred yeah. that, that are ready to go right now into the community. Yeah. When do you think you're going to be able, like? If if you can't put a, a real timeline on it right now, that's okay. But when do you think maybe you're going to be able to send start sending these out? It could be this afternoon. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow, that's cool. Um, so are you guys are you guys just gonna keep going with this like as long as you can? You think, or as long as you need to? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. As long as there's a need, uh, we'll provide as much as we uh, support as we can because we can only do so much from our own homes. But right. uh, what we can do is uh, use our 3D printers and our tools that uh, the school uh, has generously let, allowed us to use. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so yeah, as long as there's still a need, there's definitely no reason that we stop early. Mm-hmm. Well, what we're learning is that um, although it, it may not seem like it's in total panic mode here, um, as you get uh, farther away from here and closer to you know more populated places, um, even in yeah. Topeka, we're, we're getting some very very big requests. Uh, Junction City, we're getting re- requests, yeah. and um, we know that uh, of course Missouri is. Um, it's getting worse and worse over there. So uh, we could imagine that Kansas City, um, at worst, if we have to send these things two hours away, it's not not that bad of a drive right. um, to, to to bring them over there if need be. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Um, I noticed in the in the Collegian article that was written about this a few days ago that you guys are even thinking about like partnering with other departments on campus and seeing like what they can do to help make stuff like PPE. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. One of the one of the things we noticed is we're not the only department um, that has three D printers. Uh, we know that the for a fact that the uh, engineering uh, department does, as well as actually uh, the education department. I know actually has two in their uh, education library. I believe. Yeah, I think the library has one, or they did at one point too. Yeah, definitely. Right. So, I don't know how many are there across campus. Do you know? That'd be interesting. That's a good question. We're I'm trying to get, we're trying to get a few more. Oh. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, we're working towards getting a few more. Gotcha. Uh, how many did engineering have? Was it fifteen? Was it more than that? They had a Eight. lot. Wow. Dang. Yeah, that would be cool. That'd be interesting. So, I want to talk about too, just for like our last our last few minutes here. How um, have you guys been like personally impacted by the virus? Uh, nothing's really changed too much besides our studio is now in my basement rather than in a different building. Right. But uh, yeah. switching to online classes has definitely been something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a it's been a definite change. Um, I I'm actually in Dallas, Texas right now. Really. Um, having to help remotely, yeah, and so um, it's it's a big change there as well as um, uh, yeah, I guess studio online is is totally different uh, environment than what right. we're used to. Right. So are you are you working on these PPE face shields in Dallas and are you going to like ship them back up to Manhattan? Or what are you thinking? <laughs> so that's a good question. So actually, I have a, a printer in Manhattan uh, with oh. a roommate who's very nice and he's printing them from uh, my home in Manhattan. But what I've been working on is basically the, uh, helping with the logistical side mm-hmm. as well as uh, editing some of those uh, open source files to kind of adjust for glasses um, as well as a more comfortable fit on the face. So kind of been doing the digital. Oh, and then adding the little K-State logo oh, nice. as well. Kind of doing some of the digital stuff before the actual production. Yeah, man, you got to have our name out there on them. Got of to. course. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you guys think is just like the overall importance of making uh, PPE like this at this time? Definitely the most important thing is just keeping people safe and healthy. Uh-huh. Definitely. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. Okay. This is really interesting stuff. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for, uh, just like working on all this stuff right now. Do you think, are there going to be like other projects moving forward where you're making like different types of PPE? What do you think? What are are there any ideas there? Yeah, uh, definitely. There's tons of open sourced uh, files that aren't just face masks. They're uh, respirators or um, 
uh, what else? There's basically anything that can protect you in a way. Mm-hmm. There's some kind of 3D print version of it that's out there uh, in the world that uh, we've definitely looked into. And it's just once we get the logistical side more figured out on the uh, on the face shields, right. that's when we can ramp up production, get more printers, and start to uh, kind of dip our toe into the new uh, PPE. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. As and, you know, we're going to be monitoring the situation and monitoring need, of course, um, right now, because we are a small production team. Um, you know, we're talking four or five printers at this moment. Um, we don't have that much that we can give, but we're going to give what we can. Right. Uh, I think as uh, as we can start to come together on campus um, around this effort and um, as as things develop um, with the situation, we'll know what we need to do. Um, these guys have mentioned a lot of uh, uh, respirators. There are also open source ventilators that are going out. So I could imagine mechanical engineering students putting things together. Right. Um, there are 3D printed parts in a lot of those open source devices as well. So I think it's just about seeing where things go uh, with this and to just be light on our feet with what we can make. And um, I think this is where architecture students can really shine because we ask them to be creative every single day. Right. And uh, I think you're seeing it with this project here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So is there is there some way that you guys would like people to contact you if they're looking into like if they would like PPE? Probably by email would be the best way. Okay. Do you guys want to get, uh, say that or? <laughs> yeah, my email is djplank at ksu.edu. Gotcha. Gotcha. Matt, if you want to give yours out too. Yeah, sure. definitely. So mine is uh, uh, MKCOX, Matthew K. Cox, so MKCOX96 at KSU.edu. Okay, cool. And that's the best way for people to reach out and if, if they would like some? Definitely. And uh, another way to get in touch with us is our dean. Our dean is very uh, helpful in this regard. He's also mm-hmm. one of the, our big proponents of getting uh, orders in a way. Gotcha. Uh, he's all over social media. You can- and his name is Tim DeNoble. Gotcha. And uh, so, yeah, however, however you can reach out to us if you need some. Sweet. Alrighty. Well, guys, thank you so much. And I really hope this project goes well for you and that you guys do well in this really strange and hard time. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much.